Hello, Dan Jones here for you with a quiet talk of meditation on the beauty of Jesus. Yesterday was Palm Sunday. We are in the beginning of Holy Week when we remember those mighty acts of God that brought salvation and victory to all who trust in Jesus Christ and in the redemption he accomplished at Calvary. This time of year is sometimes called Passion Week. I actually like that designation better. The only time in the Bible that I'm aware that the English word passion is used to refer to the suffering of Jesus is Acts 1-3 in the King James Version, where Luke says that Jesus showed himself to his disciples alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Whenever the modern translations use the word, it's in a negative sense, sinful passions. So I guess we don't really use it often in connection with the suffering of Jesus, but I think we should. In English, the word passion means intense emotion, an overmastering feeling or conviction or ardent affection. I think all of these shades of meaning come into play when we talk about what motivated Jesus Christ to endure all the agony he endured in the cross. In Luke 12:50, Jesus says, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Of course, the baptism he was referring to was a baptism of suffering, the suffering of the cross. I hope I don't offend anybody's denominational traditions when I point out the plain fact that the Greek word for baptize means to immerse. In his gracious act of redemption, Jesus was immersed in intense, even cosmic suffering. We can never fully enter into it. The word translated here, constraint, literally means to hold something together or to lock up. It was used of holding a prisoner in custody. I think that we can justly say that Jesus in his earthly life was a prisoner of his passion, a passion to die for a lost world, to set them free from sin and bondage, to give them life. He had a singular focus, and that focus was the cross. I have a theory that if any person on earth, no matter how evil we think them to be, if anyone could see just for one moment this intense, controlling love of Jesus Christ for them, that they would surrender to him immediately. Of course, most people don't see it. Paul says that the God of this world, and that would be Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. If I have a passion in my preaching, it is that somehow my listeners would come to see this great love of Christ, that the scales would fall from their eyes, as it were, and the light would get in. Our struggle as his messengers, and that is every Christian, by the way, not just people who get paid to get up and preach on Sunday. 
Our struggle is against the powers of darkness who work constantly to keep people in the dark. We wrestle in prayer against these evil forces and pray that the light of the gospel would penetrate unbelieving hearts. In that same passage about Satan blinding the minds of unbelievers, Paul further says that it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. My friend, if you know Christ, if God has shown his light in your heart and helped you to see the love of God for you, that love that he demonstrated by his death, you should get down on your face and thank God with all your heart for his mercy on you. Most people don't see what you see. It's not just in the story of Jesus that we see God's passion for sinners. Much of the writing of the Old Testament prophets reads like the lament of an abandoned lover. A great example is the prophecy of Hosea. Hosea had a special calling from God if there ever was one. God told him to marry a prostitute. I'm not sure what Hosea's parents thought about this. The Bible doesn't tell us. But the whole point in Hosea is that God was using him as a living illustration of his relationship to Israel. God said through Isaiah, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Of course, this idea continues in the New Testament when the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. But we can view the entire book of Hosea through the eyes of an aggrieved husband whose wife has given herself to other lovers. To me, one of the most poignant verses in the Bible is Hosea 11.8. Listen to the passion in these words. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Adma and Zeboim were cities that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he says, My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. Keep in mind that this is God talking. Most people aren't accustomed to hearing emotional expressions like this from God. His heart was turned over within him as he considered the destiny of the people of Israel, people who had sinned so grievously and done things that would cause you and me to say, give them what they deserve. They are despicable. But God, whom they had so deeply offended by their sin, says that his heart is turning upside down and his compassion for them is like a fire within. This language is not unique to Hosea. Way back in the beginning, just before the flood, the Bible says that when God looked on the earth 
and what had become of the human race he had created, that it grieved him to his heart. Why? Because, unlike us oftentimes, God has compassion for sinners, for sinners who are suffering because of their own foolish rebellion. I have found myself many times when some bad person is suffering the consequences of their sin, saying, good, they deserve to suffer. But I'm not like God. He says through the prophet Ezekiel, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. If you ever doubted that, I urge you to look at Calvary. Look at the man from Nazareth as he hangs there in agony, as he experiences searing pain each time he pushes his body up against that spike through his feet to take one more breath. Look into those eyes of love whose sight is blurred by his own blood as it runs down from his scalp, pierced in many places by the thorns that were gouged down into it. Look at those hands impaled upon that rough wood, hands that had touched the leper and brought him cleansing, hands that had tenderly held little children, healing hands. Look there. And then listen to those words uttered from the cross. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Passion. Passion for dying sinners. Passion for a lost world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we pray you to set your passion, cross, and death between your judgment and our souls now and in the hour of our death. Give mercy and grace to the living, pardon and rest to the dead. To your holy church, peace and concord, and to us, sinners, everlasting life and glory. For with the Father and the Holy Spirit, you live and reign one God, now and forever. Amen.